The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Oh, yes. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I always really enjoy speaking with you, Mari. You know, they do, and a lot of times I hear from my clients or those that I meet at conferences and so on, um, they say, well, we're too small to need to have 
a breach response procedure. Or they'll say maybe, well, we're a nonprofit, so that doesn't apply to us. But just think about all of the personal information that is created and collected by every single type of organization. If any organization has personal information, then they truly do need to consider the fact that they may be breached and someone who is not authorized to get that information might get their hands on it in some way and you don't want to wait until an incident occurs, a breach occurs to uh, determine how you're going to react because if you do that, you're not going to react in the most efficient and most appropriate way. In fact, you might do some things um, that will harm your organization and the associated individuals whose personal information was breached. You might do something that will basically make the harm even worse instead of better. So you have to be prepared by thinking about this now and planning what you'll do if uh, personal information ever is breached within your organization. Oh, definitely. And I do want to point out, too, this is a situation that I dealt with. Um, it's been several years ago now, but, you know, there's mom-and-pop shops that actually do business for really large organizations. I was doing work for a huge financial and healthcare organization a few years ago, and I was looking at their vendors that they have that does processing for them. And one of their vendors was an organization that had only five people in the organization, and they were all from the same family. And even though they were small, they had millions of records from this huge organization that they were managing and processing within their system. So, you know, it's great that this huge organization gave this small business this great opportunity, but on the other hand, just look at the fact that they had millions of customer and personal information records. So even though they only had five people, they still need to make sure that they know what to do if all of that information could possibly be breached and they need to know um, how it could possibly be breached as well. Well, and also, if I could just make a quick point, um, right now, a lot of times over the years, I've heard these tiny businesses say, well, nobody's going to target me. Well, guess what? 
everyone is a target now because there is a huge um, a huge group of what we call cyber crime as a service c a a s they actually have an acronym for it and the <laughs> and the cyber crime as a service they actually use tools to go out and find where vulnerabilities are at in systems so they aren't there's still people that target uh, certain entities but there's also tools that target weak systems and unsecured systems so if they find any system on your your um computers or anything like that, you will be someone who they will come after. Even if you're a one-person business, you are vulnerable, so you have to be prepared. Right, exactly. And that is one of the reasons that motivated me um, back in 2014 to actually start my own um, uh, system or my own business, Symbus360.com, because over the years doing all my consulting, I've written literally hundreds of policies and procedures, and I saw that, you know, all of these have a lot of things in common. So we can make these types of um, templates for policies and procedures available and then give guidance to help organizations down to the one-person shop to be able to actually take and customize all of these policies and procedures to fit their own business um, activities. In fact, we have, through my Symbus business, we have a group of acupuncturists and chiropractors. And if you can imagine, most of those are one person to maybe three person businesses. We actually have around 450 of those who use our Symbus business because it's affordable, but it has everything they need. And then they can always ask me or some of my experts uh, at the business questions if they need guidance. So there, there is affordable good and effective solutions out there for folks that they can get so they can make sure that they are doing everything that they need to do to protect not only their business, but also to protect all of their own clients and customers and patients and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, definitely. And there's too many folks who view having security and privacy policies and procedures as just something that they need to meet compliance requirements. You can't view it that way. You have to look at those documents as true guidelines for what you need to do in your business to protect your own business. And, you know, you mentioned being an expert witness. I've also been an expert witness witness for um, some very interesting cases, and they've always included whether or not there were, number one, documented policies and procedures for security and privacy, but number two, and this was a key thing in those cases, whether or not the organization was actually following them. Um, If you have policies and procedures documented, but you've never looked at them, you don't follow, you know, you don't use them, people don't know that they exist, then that they're not going to help you at all. And in fact, it could even hurt you in some cases to show that you had this documentation established, but then you chose, basically, not to follow them. So you definitely need to follow your policies and procedures. Exactly. Definitely. Well, you need to have both a set of information security policies and procedures and privacy, and you need to meet the core requirements. Um, A lot of organizations have a few policies and procedures, but they don't have the enough to cover everything. So you need to make sure that you have policies and procedures that establish the basic fact that you are going to implement safeguards to protect the information that you possess and are responsible for. You also need to have policies and procedures about um, doing risk management. And that would include having requirements for doing risk assessments, but also evaluating risk in the ways in which you're handling personal information and other sensitive information. You need to have policies and procedures that cover your technical um, issues that are related to your information system. So you need to have policies that say, you know, what your password requirements are, minimum links and complexity. You need to have uh, policies that cover how you're going to try to prevent malware from coming into your organization, how you're going to try to prevent um, people from getting in through firewalls and the fact that you have firewalls. You need to have mobile computing uh, security and privacy policies and procedures. You need to have your training policies and procedures. A lot of organizations don't realize that they need to establish what is the minimum amount of security and privacy training and awareness communications that we are going to commit to doing to ensure that everyone working within our organization 
is kept aware of what they need to do to protect information and um, what to look for in their daily work activities. And mentioning before those people we contract, you need to have a policy and supporting procedures for those vendors that you use as well. And the, the policies and procedures can cover such things as what you're going to require of your contracted entities with regard to what they will commit to doing to protect your information while it's under their care. Um, so you need to have that. You need to have your um, disaster recovery and backup and continuity uh, policies and procedures. So this is a, this is related to breach response policies and procedures that we've already said you need to have, but it's um, kind of uh, something that is in parallel with it because you want to have policies and procedures for disaster recovery and backup to address when other types of things happen too. So these policies will say, you know, how often are you going to make backups of your systems and your data? And if your system crashes, you know, how are you going to get them restored quickly? I've had so many of my clients tell me, well, we don't need disaster recovery and backup policies and procedures because we use a managed service provider that does all of our systems work for us. And I have to point out to them, well, that's good if they're taking care of that, but are you telling me you don't have any computer that you actually use to get access to those main servers? And of course, they say, well, of course we have our own computers. And I say, well, then you need to have a policy and procedure in place for what you're doing with your own computer. You know, what are you doing with the data on your hard drive to back it up? What's going to happen if your system crashes or if it gets stolen? What are you going to do to make sure you, that you can recover and then you also can make sure if it's been stolen that someone does not get access to that data that's on the computer. So um, there's a, a range of probably around uh, 12 to 15 primary areas that most organizations need to cover with regard to security policies and procedures. And uh, those I can, you know, if anybody wants to send me um, an email and you can get my email address out on those websites you mentioned where I can send them a list that shows kind of the core requirements for what every business down to the one person business needs to have in place to show that that um, they're doing all they can to protect their information. Yes. Right. And there's so many ways, like you said, they can get you through phishing, using email, they can get you now on social media. They're using social media a lot to social engineer you and get them to give you information about your business. They show up in person depending upon, you know, what type of business you have and where you're located. Um, phone calls um, through your cell phone, texting. There's a lot of that going on. So, Definitely, that's another area that you need to, to have covered. That's a good point. Right. 
Yeah, always, always uh, be suspicious, I guess. So <laughs> trust but verify. That's definitely what you need to do. Yes. Well, well, there are a few other things. I mean, a lot of people who have businesses don't realize. We've already said even the one person needs to be prepared. But guess what? There are at least in the United States 52 state and territory breach response laws. There are dozens of credit freeze laws that oftentimes at the state and some local levels that address what you need to do for breaches. There's regulations that require responses, breach response, such as in the healthcare space, there's HIPAA, in the federal space, there's FISMA, in the education space, there's FERPA. There's international regulations now. Um, May 25th, 2018, I'm sure that's a date that sticks out for you like it does for me. That's when the European Union general data uh, protection regulation, or GDPR, goes into effect, and it has breach response requirements. Australia has new breach response laws and regulations. Now, some of your folks may say, well, we don't have customers in Europe. Well, keep in mind those, the EU GDPR breach response and basically the entire regulation, it applies to all types of personal information, not just for your customers. So for your employees, that's personal information. For your contractors, if you have their uh, personal information of their workers, then you need to follow GDPR. If you have workers over in Europe that you've contracted. Um, so that's something else to keep in mind. And then um, as a, a legal requirement, think about your contractual requirements. Let's say that um, you process credit cards. If you do, then you have to comply with the breach response requirements of PCI DSS, the Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard. So, and I know a lot of one-person shops actually do uh, credit card processing. So right there, they have to follow those breach response. So there's so many different ways in which you have to do it. Even look at your privacy notice on your website. And this is something, Laurie, I've seen too many organizations, they post the privacy notice, they make all these promises for how they're protecting personal information, and then they forget about that notice. And they don't realize, as you know, that's a legally binding promise that they put out there. And if they say that they're going to respond uh, to privacy breaches or protect personal information to certain standards, and then they don't, they're putting themselves at great uh, liability and legal jeopardy. Oh, well, these are important because just think about it. If you have a breach and your local um, news TV station talks about it, and everybody hears, especially all of your customers, all of your potential customers, what happens? You get loss of trust. As soon as they talk about your organization having, and they'll always say, oh, well, insufficient security led to this breach, or you know, they didn't do enough due diligence on their contractors that they used, and a breach happened. That loss of trust 
can um, also lead to loss of clients, loss of customers, then you have loss of income. And then if you're a larger organization that is very concerned with your brand, in fact, a lot of the or- largest organizations actually have departments that focus on what's the value of our brand at any point in time. A breach will bring the actual value of that brand down, and if you're a publicly traded organization, that can lead to stock values going down too. So, you know, there's many other consequences of a breach beyond just non-compliance with your legal requirements. It can have very long-term effects. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, that is a great question, and it's um, very widely misunderstood because, you know, I mentioned before about the 52 state and territory breach notice laws and all the federal. They're all different. They're all different. So the thing is, while many of them at the state level do say if the data is strongly encrypted, some of them just kind of vaguely say encrypted, there are some... That's, that don't give that as a reason to not be considered a breach. There's a few of them that actually say, even if you have your data encrypted, then it's still considered to be a breach. And then you have to look at the risks involved with the associated breach. But also, it's important for all of your listeners to understand that breaches aren't just about digital data. Anyway, I mean, you have to consider your print material. And in fact, oh my gosh, Mara, just look at all of the breaches that have occurred over the last 25 years. I mean, I started seeing them before there were laws for breaches where people would put, um, you know, their, their client data or their employee data in a dumpster out back. And then you had your dumpster divers, and that might be a term you haven't heard for a while, but it's still going on because if you're putting your um, print information um, out on the curb or in the back alley in your dumpster and somebody gets it, that is a breach too under many different laws and regulations. So you can't exclude any types. There's even, um, if people under some legal requirements hear you talking about someone, and this would be like under HIPAA, if you're talking about a patient in a way that does not show due diligence, like maybe you're talking about a patient right out in the waiting room and, you know, and people are there and hear you, that can be considered a HIPAA violation because you didn't take due care to protect that information and you didn't follow the requirements to not 
discuss publicly that kind of information. So there are many different issues to consider. Um, and certainly, though, encryption is a good thing. I think encryption needs to be used much more. But don't look at encryption as being the only thing that you need to do to pre prevent a breach. It's definitely a very good tool to have in your toolbox, but it's only one of what you need to have as many different ways to prevent um, breaches. Yes, please go to Simbus360.com and um, just very quickly, I have a free personal risk evaluation for everyone out there just to see how privacy savvy you are. So Simbus360.com backslash personal hyphen risk hyphen evaluation. My gift to everyone listening that they can take for free. Thanks, Mari. Happy holidays to you as well. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide.